you are who you say you are. And it's our responsibility to love you for who you say you are. And not in a fake and performative way, but in an authentic way that lets you be part of a larger society. Today on Beyond J, a conversation about gender pronouns. And to take a deeper dive into this topic, I invited the Director of Policy and Records Management at Sacramento State, Antonia Pegahi, uh, and my pronouns are she, her. This is her story. Starting at age six, I realized something about me didn't seem to be the same experience that other people were having that were my age. Antonia experienced a lot of discomfort in group settings, feeling disconnected from herself even, like watching from the outside. And I know that is absolutely where I started developing an anxiety disorder. I was raised fairly strictly in terms of what gender roles were um, and who I was supposed to be, and I took that with me. So. Over the years, I had an incredibly hard relationship with who I was, and especially with my body. This was at a time in Antonia's life when she was playing basketball for hours straight, having lunch and then hitting the soccer field. I was in what I think a lot of people would consider incredible shape um, and conditioning, and I hated myself. I was never satisfied, I was never okay with what was going on there, and I still had an overriding discomfort with most of my interactions. Still, Antonia went on to build a career as a tenured professor, and in doing that, built a space for self-discovery. And so, took advantage of the private browsing feature as I started to look up body dysmorphic disorder, because that's what I was told, you, you have body dysmorphic disorder, you have body dysmorphic disorder. And I started to look that up, and I was ashamed. I was really ashamed. What does that even mean? I came across this concept of dysphoria and gender dysphoria. So gender dysphoria is clinically significant distress or impairment related to a strong desire to be of another gender. Not all transgender people have dysphoria, but Antonia was experiencing this and having trouble reconciling these feelings with the love she had for her wife and young child. I was mortified. I was scared of what this was gonna be and what this was gonna mean um, for me. And the more I read it, the more challenging it got because I began to have to confront my relationship with myself, my relationship with my spouse. And I finally came out on election day of 2016. And I told my wife at the time that I think I'm a woman. And that's not the way that she heard it. And so the conversation didn't quite go the way that I thought it was going to go. And so I packed it back down and sat on it. And that was hard because it was creating an existential crisis, literally and figuratively, an existential crisis. And in probably January of 2018, that reached its peak and I was struggling. I didn't know what to do. And so I went to go see a physician 
to tell them. And so I went and I, I spoke with the doctor and that was my first encounter with medical gatekeeping because in fact what I was told was you have an eating disorder. You don't have anything else. You just have an eating disorder. And you know what? I did have an eating disorder. That was absolutely correct. And their suggestion was, you need to go to therapy. So I began therapy. I found an incredible therapist. And fairly shortly into our time together, I said, I'm a woman. And their response was, okay, what do we want to talk about in relation to that? And I, I remember sitting there thinking, why aren't you judging me? Why aren't you telling me I'm wrong? This is what I want to hear. This is what I want to hear you tell me is, no, in fact, you're really not, that the doctor's correct, that you just have a problem with eating and self-image and these types of things. And so we talked about it. And I went back to the physician in May of 2018. And I said, so I've met with the therapist. We've spoken a lot. Again, I actually think that I'm transgender. And the physician said, okay, you need to talk to the psychiatrist. And I said, okay, that's not my therapist. And she said, no, that's not your therapist. Fortunately, Antonia was able to see a psychiatrist within just a few days. And I was terrified. I'd come to a moment of peace with my therapist, but now I was going to tell somebody else who I thought was going to say, much like the doctor, no, you just have an eating disorder. You just have something else going on with you. But I, I told them, I said, I'm a transgender woman. And their response was, okay. So are you going to want to begin hormone replacement therapy or not? Because it's up to you. And so May 18th, of 2018, I started hormone replacement therapy. And it was a weight that was lifted from me. There was peace in a way that I hadn't experienced for so long. And I was calm and I felt happy. And happy sounds trite. It doesn't even capture just the feeling of that buzz that was always in my head, the voice always saying, you're wrong, everything about you is wrong, that voice went away. And it was transformative in terms of my relationships with others, but especially my relationship with myself, where for the first time I could see myself in a mirror and start to say, Okay, you're beautiful. I knew what name I was going to take because it came to me in a dream and it was one of the best dreams I had had in my life. And it truly went from this moment of terror and shame that I was gonna be discovered, which is why, again, I used private browsing, to an opportunity for me to publicly state at the fall president's address and fall of 2018, who I was. And I'll always remember that moment because it was the students that stood up first and began clapping as I made an incredibly public declaration of my truth. I was there. I had goosebumps. Something that we talked about is this idea of preferred. 
because my pronouns aren't preferred. These are who I am. And so I sort of always push back on that notion of preferred pronouns because it, it denotes choice. And I think that also flies into some of the anti-LGBTQ plus language of sexual preference. You're choosing something. I didn't choose these sets of pronouns. And in a lot of ways, life would have been easier had I had a choice to decide what my pronouns were in life and who I was in life. But I don't frankly believe that I did. To dig further into pronouns and how we might be more aware of one another, Antonia reached out to a couple of colleagues to join the conversation. So, you know, this question of preferred, yeah, it's, it is something that chafes, for sure. But what makes me even more upset are the ways in which I put it in the Zoom, I tell people, and they continue to not recognize it. And I constantly call them out on it. And, and they laugh because they're nervous about it. Or I'll correct somebody in a store and, and they'll get defensive. That's really frustrating. When you tell someone, I prefer to use these pronouns or just call me Dana. That's Dana Kivel, a professor at Sacramento State in the Department of Recreation, Parks, and Tourism Administration, whose pronouns are they, them, there. And they say, well, I can't help it. I was raised that way mm -hmm. to use ma'am or as a point of respect. And I said, well, when I ask you to not use it and you continue to, to misgender, then you're being very disrespectful. I, I do an exercise class. I've been doing it for six years. And the other day, for some reason, the teacher who's never done this before just said, okay, ladies, throughout the whole class. And she was very apologetic and did reach out and say, I'm really sorry, I hadn't thought about that. And I said, no, just use gender-neutral language. My question is, why do we have to gender people when we go to a restaurant? Why do we have to gender people when we ask for a glass of water, when we're buying medication at a pharmacy? And, and so I think the message that I want for people to think about is to consider just saying, how are you? How can I help you? What do you need? So it, it has been something that has been a mission that I've been doing for a very long time. And sometimes it does get a little frustrating and it does get tiring. It's painful. <clears throat> right. uh, being misgendered is painful. And in fact, part of the way in which I present is in a sense trying to offer a world that may not understand or comprehend that I am who I say I am. I want to attempt to eliminate the mistakes because being misgendered is violence against me and it hurts me and people don't understand and they do get defensive. I had a recent example of playing basketball with some colleagues and one of them who I know hasn't seen me in a while continued to use my dead name and I kept on repeating. That's not my name. That's not my name. And we played basketball, but I left, I went home, and then I felt gross for the rest of the day. Like, they don't see me as who I am. They don't see me as me. They see me as somebody who we all thought I was, even though I had questions even then about who that was. And so, absolutely, it, it's hard. And certainly for me then, what it means is I have to do things which I don't always want to do in terms of attempting to give those visual clues to folks that assist me in being gendered in the way and being given the pronouns and given the respect that I'm asking for. So I'm totally on board with the idea of preferred and how that is diminishing. How does everybody feel about 
the language so-and-so identifies as. Because to me, that still puts you, you're over here and I'm over here because I'm just Philip, but you identify as. It bugs the heck out of me. Again, I am who I am. And frequently identifies as, then is turned around as an incredible joke used against trans and non-binary folks. The common joke is I identify as an attack helicopter. How dare you dismiss who we are? I think one of the challenges for us is how do we accept people as they come to us? How do we work within our own framework, our own background, our own histories and legacies and pains and layers to understand where people are coming from and to bring them in and say, you're welcome. Thank you for being here. I can address you in a way that brings you into the conversation. Well, to be honest, I'm not quite there yet. This is Sacramento State's Pride Center Program Coordinator. My name is Tran Pham, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm still um, going through many phases of coming out and embracing that. And so I find that I am in the phase right now where I'm telling people I identify as not a girl or I identify as non-binary. So in a way, I feel like I'm using that language to claim who I am. I think it, it really, it takes time to get to that place where we try on different things and what feels right. And right now I'm at non-binary, tran, they, them. I started with she, her for the longest time and had my own journey of getting to she, they, and then eventually embracing they, them, which I feel is at this time, the most authentic version of me. And that, actually, that makes absolute sense. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment because it's important to make the distinction here that there isn't a handbook on how to respectfully address people. Antonia has a negative view of the term identifies as, but Tran finds it useful in their transition. The point that I'd like to make is that while we probably won't land in the same place on most of these matters, what we can appreciate is that every one of us is in a constant state of discovering who we are. And the choice that we can make is to offer one another grace in this journey. In the case of identifies as, I would take Dr. Kivel's stance of it's safer just to say it in another way. It's not up to me to point out who identifies as, but I can certainly appreciate anyone who wants to come out and say, I identify as. I actually noticed your pronouns in your signature said she, her, they, and I was excited to see that you had adopted that. And I, that's probably where I'm going to end up going, having come out just a few years ago and having felt so much pressure, internal pressure and external pressure, and almost feeling like I needed to plant a flag that said, this is who I am. So I think pronouns may evolve over time. It's still not a preference. Discovering the truth about yourself. And that's not necessarily an overnight, but an ongoing process that every single person on this planet has to go through. And I think it also goes down to this idea around pronouns or other things. I think people sometimes continue to look at rights as a pie, and they're not, right? There's no finite level to the courtesy we can express to people. There's no finite level to people's rights to be who they are in this world. And when we pretend 
that in fact rights are a scarcity, respect is a scarcity, then we start to see why there are so many mental health challenges around coming out, why there are so many different challenges for trans, non-binary, and queer youth, when even our language is contested. And I know I certainly reclaim queer, and I know for a lot of people they are passionately against that because of the way it was used in the past. And so I think there's lots of factors, I think, that play into this continued development of who we are over time because we don't come out getting it. I think we come out and we adapt and we change. It sounded like you were asking for the freedom to discover who you are. I think it also sounds like the freedom to be able to exist in our true selves. As I tell my students, freedom is a relative concept. That, you know, it's constantly being challenged and constrained. And in terms of this question of how do we identify or coming out, I came out 40 years ago as a lesbian and lived most of my life in that identity. It's really been more in the last 10 to 12 years that I've questioned that and really have come to see that my identity has changed over time. And by the way, what most people don't realize is that we all have gender identities, we all have sexual identities, and most people whose identities that align with the dominant culture don't have to think about that and can take it for granted that, oh, I don't have to think about what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a man. But in classes that I've taught for the last, I'm um, going on 27 years of being a faculty member, I have asked students, what does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a man? You know, so much of what they say uh, aligns with societal expectations. For men, it's about hegemonic masculinity. It's about being strong and not expressing yourself. And for women, it's more, there is more of a range of, I can be emotional, but I can be strong. I can be independent. But it, at the end of the day, a lot of this is the ways in which we've been ideologically constructed, and that happens the moment you are born. It's not only assigned biology gender at birth, it's also what color blanket are we going to give you? And that manifests in so many different ways. And I think that it would be great if the future is such that we do not have to come out. We do not have to say, I identify, because the ways in which people see one another are not constrained by a binary. If we didn't have to constantly be explaining to people, that would be a fine day. When we start to buy into binary thinking, that thinking becomes rigid. This is what people do. And going back to then pronouns, they, them, allows for a multiplicity of ways of being. When we do that, if we want to have this world that is more non-binary, it undermines all these industries that are built on making sure that we uh, reinforce differences, especially the clothing industry. When I came out, one of the things that I did is I, I went through my closet and I said, can I actually wear this anymore? This is a men's t-shirt and, and I'm a woman. Can I wear that? And so I actually Many items got sent to Goodwill. And if I had a time machine, I would go back in time and I would take all those awesome T-shirts back. I would take all those incredibly awesome clothes back and I would continue to wear them, which is what I'm doing currently. I would go back because, frankly, I bought into, well, this is what I must do because I have come out as a woman who happens to be transgender. So I can't wear that. I can't wear that. I can't do that. Yeah, I can. I can do whatever I want to do because I'm large and I contain multitudes.
So in an episode about respect, seeing a person for who they are and sensitivity towards misgendering, I went ahead and asked how I could group and label the individuals who I invited to the conversation. Because I want all of us to be comfortable being able to discuss this with one another. I, I identify as non-binary. And part of it is because of health issues that I have, I can't transition. And I, I also don't think people necessarily understand when you say non-binary. For example, a colleague of mine who is pretty well versed around gender and LGBTQ issues, you know, when I was talking to them and talking about being non-binary, she said, oh, well, so it's they, them, or she, her. I'm like, no. So I don't think people necessarily understand that when you say you're non-binary, it means you don't identify in terms of the gender pronouns that typically go along with people who are assigned female at birth or male at birth. I would like to take a step back from the LGBTQ part of that and talk about how important it is to address all people respectfully and in a way that is not dismissive of their experience. I have been struggling with trying not to call groups of women girls. Well, and we wouldn't do it with a group of guys. Ladies, to me, is a demeaning term. Mm -hmm. It really is. It carries a lot of historical baggage. It's, It's putting somebody down. It's, hey, lady. And that's what men will use if they're trying to be aggressive. Hey, lady, what are you doing? So I feel like more education around the fact that, again, why do you need to use that term? Why do you need to call a group of people anything except, hey, welcome to the store? Yes. Or how can I help you? And I feel like that's where we need to really influence people who are in industries where they're interacting with the public. And I think a lot of places are recognizing that. I was filling out a form, and it actually said, what were you assigned at birth? I have never seen that on any forms. That was pretty crazy to me. I was pretty shocked about that. I think sometimes when we talk about pronouns, there's a defensiveness. Like, oh, I got it wrong. What am I going to do? I'm embarrassed. I'm angry. I'm whatever. You made me mess up kind of attitude sometimes that comes out of it. And I've had to learn to change my language over the years. I've had to adjust the ways in which I try to address people. And I try to do that both personally, but I also try to do that in my work. When I was doing letters out of the president's office for committee appointments, I ceased using any kind of gendered introduction and it was, dear, this is your name. And if you have a doctorate, there's dear doctor so-and-so. And if you don't have a doctorate that I can discern, it was dear first name, last name. And just an attempt to both honor the people that need to be honored if they have a designated title, but also to just respect people and say, I don't know. So I'm going to be incredibly neutral about how I address you in a transactional kind of thing that does not require any true knowledge of that person. I appreciate that because I think ultimately my goal is to help people build that toolbox. Okay, well, you don't want me to say this. What can I say? And I think that's perfect. And Dana mentioned it as well as you can call me by my name. It's worked for, you know, 61 years. I think (laughs) we'll work on this phone call. You know. Over the last decade, I've witnessed an increase in the use of pronouns as a tool to help us all understand one another. You know, even as a straight white male, I now have the terminology that empowers me to offer kindness and respect where before I might have used judgment. Like for me, I didn't have the vocabulary growing up. Having been taught for so long, here are sets of values that we need to have. I didn't have any vocabulary as to why I 
struggled with my own identity for so long. And it really wasn't until probably 2013, 2014, that it suddenly, oh, wait, here's the ways in which some of this language is starting to really resonate and I'm starting to understand what this means and apply it to my own life as I'm finally coming to a place where I can grapple with some of the feelings I've had since I was six about who I was and how I belonged. So I, we've always been here. As trans people, as non-binary people, we've always existed. So I wonder, because if there's going to be any significant change in the world, in our culture, then we need to begin with the children. And I don't know how to approach a two-year-old or a six-year-old about gender fluidity, about pronouns, about addressing people with respect when it's outside of what they expect in their tiny little bubble. I think gender is a complex idea, so how do you explain it to a two-year-old? But I think saying, actually, at the end of the day, we're all people. And I'm curious to know, what does that mean to you when you say it's a boy or a girl? Maybe trying to understand how your child thinks about their understanding of what it means to be a boy or a girl. And really kind of getting a chance to understand how are they seeing the world and, and what is it that's driving them to want to even question this. And I think as a librarian, I'd be remiss to say there's great literature out there. There are so many opportunities to look at children's books out there that are approaching this issue. And for a two-year-old, it's a little harder, but certainly for six-year-olds, it is lots of people have expectations. However, we're going to let people define who they are as opposed to telling them who they are. And that people can dress how they want to dress. There's nothing strange about that. I just wish that parents would talk to their kids about this before they go out to places and say, you know, you're going to see people and you're going to maybe think that they might identify as a girl or a boy, but actually a lot of people don't necessarily, even though you may think they look a certain way. So really starting to get them to question or understand the assumptions and challenge those. I do appreciate the suggestion of having that conversation about going out into the world because that's going to be helpful in breaking down all kinds of barriers, racism and other kinds of prejudice against people of different shapes, sizes, yeah. backgrounds. Or using wheelchairs. Mm -hmm. or, yeah. Know, just yeah. Is there a comprehensive list of pronouns that people use? There are hundreds, if not thousands of them. Wow. And they change over time. Uh -huh. And then we have different cultures and societies that use them. And Ultimately, it, it's what feels right for a person. And that, that can be a struggle. Mm -hmm. At the time that Antonia came out, California was dealing with the failure of the Oroville Dam. She was inspired by the timing of this tragedy with her own journey. And so she wrote this poem. I remember the year the rains came back, fickle, falling, fecund, restlessly as if to say, is this not what you asked for? It soaked the ground. Softening a land dry and hard, like the heart of a bitter lover. Beneath the dam, the ground gave way, inexorable, insistent, inundated, a slow crumble of structures thought permanent, undermined by the littlest thing, risking the permanency of lives thought stable. The walls we prayed would hold back the floods. And they did, except mine. Reduced, reborn, 
renewed the year the rains came back. This has been Beyond Jay from Sacramento State, a podcast committed to bringing thoughtful conversation to the Sacramento region. I just want to add that the Pride Center at Sacramento State offers a monthly safe zone training, which is a three-hour workshop aimed at creating safe spaces on campus and in people. Attendees will receive a custom gender pronoun button, as well as a safe zone sticker that they can put on an office door, a window, a water bottle or laptop, anywhere that they can show that they are a safe space for LGBTQ students or staff. Until next time, I'm your host, Philip Allstott.